of all of the great advances and inventions of the past 100 years, and I know there are way too many for us to count or consider this morning, but I would like to suggest one singular invention that clearly is the most brilliant of them all, and that is the GPS device that is on our phones. I understand that we have space travel, I understand medical advances, I know that they're all incredible, but there's nothing compared to actually knowing where you're going. It's unreal. If you're over 40, I suspect you remember things such as paper maps in your car that you could not understand. I suspect you remember stopping at gas stations for asking for directions. I suspect you remember being on highways and not really sure if you're going in the right direction at all. Those things were real and it wasn't that long ago. Now, if you're under 25 years of age, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I promise it's true. Two weeks ago, my son Keaton and I drove through Atlanta. We timed our trip perfectly that we arrived uh, going north on I-75 into Atlanta right about 5 o'clock in the evening. There were approximately 100 million other cars on the road at the exact same time. I knew it was going to be a long day. I knew it would be slow, and I was prepared for that. But by looking at my phone, I actually knew how long it was going to take to get through traffic. I actually knew which bypass to take, and I actually knew what time we were going to arrive. I mean, it was magic. If you're my age, it's really magic. And yes, sitting in the traffic was slow and miserable and long, but knowing how long it was going to take and knowing where you were going actually created a sense of peace in the midst of a long and frustrating experience. Fact, if you know where you're going, It changes everything. Let me say that again. If you know where you are going, it changes everything. This morning in our passage, we'll be reminded that Jesus knows exactly where he is going and what he is doing, even when we do not. We will be reminded that there is a person and there is a place which provide comfort to us, even when we don't understand our surroundings. As Luke mentioned, we are in a series called Resurrection Life. This is our fourth week after Easter, and we've been studying some of the ways that Jesus' defeat of death changes our life now, for today. And each of these changes are celebratory as we embrace our new life in Christ. And that is because our lives really are different because Jesus rose from the dead. We've seen thus far that in Christ, we now have purpose in life. We really are his ambassadors all over the face of the earth. We've seen also that in Christ, we have promises from his word that are true. Every page of scripture shouts out to us the love of Christ. Last week from John chapter 10, we saw that we have in Christ an expectation of a full and abundant life, all because of what he has done. And now today, we get a glimpse into our future, our future beyond the days of these frail bodies, our future beyond the time that we have here on this earth, and our future in heaven with Jesus, and a little of what that means. And when we are secure in our future, it truly will affect our life today. That's what we'll see. So look back at John 14, and notice the setting. This scene is just hours before Jesus' suffering was to begin. 
He was about to be arrested, and before his arrest, he would suffer in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane in prayer for us. He had just washed his disciples' feet, showing his servant's heart. He had explained uh, to his disciples his imminent death. At the end of chapter 13, there he is with his disciples, with his friends, and Jesus let them know that one of the twelve would very publicly betray him. And then specifically, he called out Peter, saying that Peter would publicly deny him. So here's the scene. Jesus with his friends, Jesus with the twelve, and they are confused. We pick up the story and we see a group of very bewildered followers of Jesus. And now Jesus gives them a very strong command. So the question for us this morning, what does Jesus say to people who are confused by him? What does Jesus say to people who do not understand what he is doing? That is, for those people who know him, who trust him, who believe him, who have seen him do works of uh, uh, faith in the past, but are confused about him today, what does Jesus have to say to people like us? I suggest Jesus' words to his disciples are exactly what we need to hear here in 2023 at TCPC. From our passage, let me highlight two things. First, notice our confusion with Jesus. And then secondly, notice Jesus' comfort for us. Our confusion with Jesus and then Jesus' comfort for us. And may our hearts truly be comforted by these promises this morning. First, look at verse 1. Notice our confusion with Christ. The issue here is coming from the reality of the word heart and all that that means in Scripture. Let me read this again. Uh, He says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Remember, Jesus was speaking to his friends, and they are in a place of desperate emotional uh, uncertainty. They thought power and worldly success was at their fingertips. That's what they wanted, and that's what they assumed. And now Jesus was explaining such things as death and suffering and betrayal and denial. They wanted victory, they wanted ease, and they wanted peaceful circumstances. And you know what? I can relate to them. Yet what they were getting was a life of perseverance and a life of spiritual battle. Of all these guys, think of poor Peter at this moment. Here he was assuming that he had a place of leadership inside of this new kingdom that was going to grow. And he had a place of prominence, and he was excited for that. And now Jesus just told him that in the coming hours, you would deny that you ever even knew Jesus. So here they are, his friends, and their hearts are, quote, troubled. And again, we ask, why wouldn't they be? Of course they were troubled. All of this was so very confusing. Again, note the word heart. Here in the biblical sense, that is which produces the fear and the joy and the misunderstanding that we have. But when you see the word heart in the biblical sense, it's also created or related to our minds. That is the condition of our soul related to our thoughts. And in this case, particularly related to our faith, our faith in Christ. This is not addressing mental illness or anything like that per se. That's a different topic for another day. But in this case, it's our faith in the person of Christ. The point here, Jesus does not deny the reality that his people are troubled. Jesus does not expect them not to be confused. He's not angry with them. He does not ridicule them. However, 
He does not expect them or us to remain troubled. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, we are called to admit that which is true. When our hearts are troubled with Christ, we must own it. To admit our confusion, I think, sounds something like this. Put yourself back into Philip's shoes. There he was in conversation with Jesus. I think the conversation went kind of like this. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I've been with you. Jesus, I believe in you. I know you. I've seen the miracles. I've experienced your kindness. I've watched how you interact with other people. And I really do trust you. But Jesus, I have no idea what's going on now. I could not be any more confused than I currently am. That is, I will follow you. But Jesus, where are we going? I think if we're being honest, we can all relate to that just a bit. That is, we know Jesus. That is, we know that he loves us. We know that he cares. We have seen his faithfulness in the past. But aren't there times in our heart where we cry out, But Lord, what are you doing? Lord, where are we going? Jesus, you were leading in this direction, I was so sure. But now, I'm not sure where you're leading. Help me to see. When I was a freshman in high school, I played on our uh, school basketball team. And as a freshman, uh, I did a lot of watching, if you will, at practice. Not much actually playing of the game. But there was a moment in practice that I will never forget. This has been years ago, but I still remember it as if it were yesterday. The starting point guard on our basketball team was kind of the leader of our school. He was a senior. Everybody liked him. Everyone knew him. And he very much was in charge of our team. But we were trying to run one particular play in practice, and he kept messing it up. It was unusual, and that's why we were paying attention. But at one point, he finally got so frustrated with himself and the reality, he called timeout in practice, which I'd never seen before. And he walked over to the coach, and he simply said this, I don't know what I'm doing. And there was something profound about that moment where the coach looked at him, cared for him, and explained exactly what to do. You see, the fact for the disciples and for us this morning It's not that Jesus is confusing. He's not. It's that our hearts have expectations and desires that may not agree with the Lord. If we do not understand what he is doing, it's because our trust in him is suspect, leaving us, quote, troubled. This trouble that we feel is our confusion, at least in a couple of different ways. This proves to us this morning that Christians really do have problems. If you thought for one second that as a follower of Jesus you would never have problems, you need to let go of that right now. That's not true. But secondly, we really do need to admit when our hearts are troubled. We need to name those things. We need to be honest about them. Those times, those seasons, those feelings of doubt, of disbelief, and anger, they're real. So we don't deny them. We admit that they're there. So for Thomas, we can see that he needed to own the fact he was frustrated that he didn't know where they were going. For Philip, he had to own the fact he did not understand Jesus and the Father. So let me ask you this morning. How is your heart troubled in your faith in Christ? Can you be honest? Can you state the trouble that you feel? The confusion that you may feel, admit that it's there, admit that it's real. 
Because if you can't admit that it's true, that Jesus is imperative this morning to move out of it won't make sense. Look back at verse 1 and feel the weight of what Jesus tells his friends. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. The way we understand that is to mean do not remain troubled. That is, here is the trouble, but now bring that to Christ and listen to what he will have to say. As I prayed through this and prepared for this, I really just sensed, church, that we needed to own this at this particular time in our lives. Jesus' friends were bewildered and confused. Yes, yes they were. But Jesus told them, do not stay in that condition. That is, do not dwell in your confusion. Do not enjoy your confusion. Do not make it your identity, but rather trust him to be strengthened in it. Rather, we are to move out of our trouble into a place of strong faith in Christ. You see, our Lord's desire for us this morning is that our hearts are secure and not troubled. We've seen the reality that trouble is there, but now notice in point two, how the Lord moves us out of our trouble. Look back at the end of verse one through verses three, and I want to mention four quick things here that Jesus gives us. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give four things that Jesus does. And I'll just argue, these are some of the most precious and simultaneously powerful words in all of scripture. Four things here. But before you take a note... Let me ask you this simple question. How did Jesus know his friends were troubled? How did he know? There he was with them. Of course, Jesus knows everything. I don't mean that. But how did Jesus know his friends were troubled? I think it's really, really obvious. Jesus looked at them. He looked into their eyes. He saw them. He saw their body language. He could read with his intuition their hearts. And he knew that their hearts were troubled. Friends, this morning Jesus also sees you. He sees your face. He looks into your eyes. He knows your body language. And he knows you so well. He knows when you're troubled. And notice how kind and gracious his words of growth are. He is coming to you this morning from a position of he knows you so well. And he loves you completely. Now listen to what he has to say to a troubled heart. First, get the second half of verse 1. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He's simply saying here, I am God. Jesus is God. Specifically, Jesus knew that his friends believed in God the Father and trusted in the one who created the whole world. So he was saying, I know what I'm doing So yes, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to suffer. Trust me. Don't try to talk me out of this. I know what I'm doing. The disciples had to accept Jesus was going to die. But for them and for us, the issue has to be this. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus knows what he's doing? If you do, then here is the implication of that this morning. There is not one thing going on in your life in which Jesus is not keenly aware and deeply concerned. Every single detail. He is God, therefore he sees and he knows. Jesus is passionately concerned for your life. 
He was not surprised by the bad news you received last week. He was not unaware of the loss you experienced or the victory you gained. He was there. He was involved. He sees you. He said he would not leave you or abandon you, and he will not. So put your hope in him who knows what he's doing. He is our Lord. He is our master. We can trust him. So therefore, may we enjoy the freedom that comes, that is ours, when we know that Jesus is alive inside of us, and he has a plan, and he is working it. Secondly, Jesus has heaven prepared. Verse 2, the suffering in which he was about to endure had many purposes, but for the troubled in heart who would also be facing their own physical deaths in the near future, Jesus reminded them of heaven. He said this, in my father's house are many rooms. The emphasis here is you do not need to worry about your future. Because I have taken care of it for you. There is plenty of room available for you. He doesn't tell any of his disciples that they will not die. Or that they will not suffer. He doesn't do that because they're all going to die and suffer. Rather he encourages them to know there's plenty of room for them. I find it a little odd as I thought about this. That the notion, this doctrine of heaven is paramount to our belief system. Of course, we talk about this, we believe it. But yet we typically only preach it at our funerals. But in reality, I think this speaks to the need that our lives today, every day, are based upon the fact that our destiny in our future is secure. What does this generate in your heart today? It means this. It means that we can continue in whatever struggle that we may have to face. Whatever that looks like for you, you really can continue in it, trusting in the Lord because your future is secure. But it's not just heaven. Don't you love that Jesus refers to it in the context of a home? Don't you love the picture here? Our heavenly father has a house and it will feel like a home in the best of our imaginations of what home can be. In one of the commentaries I read about this passage this week, I love this, uh, describing the concept of a home. Uh, This commentary mentioned a contest from a London newspaper years ago where the contest was to determine the best description of the word home. Here was the winning entry. The winning entry said this, home is where you're treated the best and complain the most. Doesn't that feel like home? A place where you want to be? Friends, in due time, we will go home. We will be with our Lord, and that is our hope. Our hope is not in earthly successes, from wealth to political, whatever. It's in the reality there is a home and there's room for us. So be comforted this morning. Jesus knows what he's doing. Be comforted this morning that Jesus has a home prepared. But then thirdly, look back at verse 2 and notice... Jesus has your home prepared. Let me repeat that. Jesus has your home repaired. Maybe this sounds exactly like point two, but it's really not. 
Notice Jesus really did include more than just rooms being prepared in his father's house. At the end of verse 2, he wanted his disciples to know that they individually have a home there. The picture is this. There's a very large house in heaven. It has lots of rooms. But Peter, I made yours exactly the way you need it to be. Philip, yours too. And Thomas, I had you in mind when I designed your room. You see, we wonder about heaven and what it will be like. We have all of these mansions in mind. But the obvious answer to that dilemma is simply this. Jesus designed your room. Put your name into this. Individually, he cares that much for you. Yes, Jesus knows your face, your name, your story, your fears, everything. And your room is designed specifically for you. That's how special you are to him. When Lisa and I were first dating, the fall of 1993, a mere 30 years ago, our relationship moved pretty quickly from dating to engagement. And the first time that she came uh, to our home, to my home, uh, we had already been discussing marriage, engagement, that sort of thing. And that is before she met my parents. So the first meal at my home with my mom and dad and Lisa, my mom made some kind of casserole for us. It's been 30 years ago. I don't remember what it was, but I remember exactly what happened. My mom brought out two different serving dishes, one large one that existed for everyone, but then one much smaller that was just for me because it didn't have tomatoes in it. The larger one was for everyone to have, But little Mark had one just for himself. (laughs) I found nothing strange that a 22-year-old man could have his own special prepared dish from his mommy. Now, Lisa will tell that story very differently than I will tell that story. She will say warning flags like crazy in premarital counseling. I like to think of that story, though, as don't you love to go home when you feel special? Now, taking my mom out of the story or Lisa out of the story, that's the point of the illustration. (laughs) Heaven will be special for you and for me. That's who you are in Christ. God has designed something for you. Your uniqueness, your loves, your hopes, your dreams, your sufferings, your fears, your life. We have a unique place. So we trust Jesus. Fourth thing here, be comforted by this this morning. Look at verse 3. Jesus is returning for us. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That is ultimately that room in our Father's mansion. That place that he has made for us. That place which is beyond our wildest dreams Jesus is going to bring it here someday for us. Oh yes, the great victory of our faith will be ultimately when Jesus returns here to this earth and his kingdom then will be fully complete and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and it will be here and sin and death and suffering will be no more. Truly, he's not going to have this room for us and not bring it to us. When he returns, he will bring all of heaven with him here. Church, this is our encouragement. 
Is this not enough to bring comfort today? He knows our destiny and he is coming to us. Jesus is returning for us and his kingdom then will be complete. Let your imaginations run wild. You see this morning, you can leave your life of trouble by trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing. You can know that he has prepared a special place for you and you will have it for all of eternity. And yes, he is coming. This is our hope. This is our faith. And church, I suggest this morning, this is enough. This really is all we need to know. See, here's the deal about our GPS is on our phone. I don't have any idea how they work. I don't want to know how they work. I don't understand technology. I don't need to understand technology. I just need to know that that technology knows what it's doing. I just need to know that when I put in my coordinates, it's going to get me where I want to go. TCPC, we do not understand all the mysteries of the Lord and his will. But we can trust him. We can trust him because he is God. We can trust him because he knows what he's doing. Can you leave your troubled heart by trusting in the promises of Jesus? The answer is we can by faith in him. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we will transition to the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and then we will come and feast around his table this morning uh, as we celebrate yet again our faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you know exactly what you are doing. We are grateful that your plan for us is good and it's true and it is real. And we are grateful that we know you, you want our hearts to be secure in who you are. So, Lord, as we prepare to feast around your, your banquet table this morning, we ask that you would remind us afresh of these things. And now we pray, oh God, as you instructed us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 